Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium with your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, and pump up your energy. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and syndicated on missionsradio.org and liveleadplay.com. So go to parentpumpradio.com to leave your questions, comments, and suggestions for future shows. The family structure and foundation is the number one defense against teenage substance abuse, pregnancy, depression, stress, and so much more. And my Amazon number one best-selling book called Amazing Itty Bitty Book on Family Leadership is going to help you with that foundation. The link to purchase this book is in the show notes. We're looking for guests for our Teen to Parent Talk series. And if you know of a young adult between the age of 18 to 23 who would like to share their story, journey, or insights, please contact us at parentpumpradio at gmail.com. So on to our show today. Our guest is an author. He's also a public speaker. However, more importantly, he is a husband and the father of five beautiful daughters. I come from a family of five girls, so I have a warm heart for that. He's a native of South Carolina. He is currently residing in Northern California, and he's here today to not only share with you how he turned hurt into healing and pain into purpose, but how he marked that personal journey by cleverly disguising it in his very first children's book called Seeds and Trees. He's here today to talk about his journey and how he got here. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Brandon Walden. Hi, Brandon. Hey, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. How's your day been going? It's going well. Yeah, I'm doing well. It's uh, beautiful weather here. It's sunny and mid-50s in Northern California, so it's, it's nice. Awesome. Let's go back. Now, you originally were from South Carolina. So how was like growing up in South Carolina? Yeah, it was good. Um, you know, South Carolina is a wonderful place, a beautiful place, you know, much different, obviously, than, than the West Coast in so many ways. But, but definitely a good hometown kind of vibe was what we were raised in. I was raised by wonderful parents in a you know, Christian home, you know, regularly attending church and, and things like that, really in a lot of ways had a, a marvelous childhood. And from the outside looking in, I think anybody would have would have seen it as such um, from what they knew of our my parents or our family or, you know, what we were seemingly like. I think that everybody thought everything was, was just roses. And I know you're also a very talented musician and artist. Yeah, actually, I spent quite a bit of time singing and and drawing and stuff when I was in all throughout elementary, middle, and high school. I started, you know, playing guitar in high school, and I actually was headed to art school with you know some scholarship money towards you know, graphic arts and things of that sort. And you know, really in high school, I kind of developed this you know small bit of knowledge about what seemed to be a new practice at the time, which was art therapy. I was really drawn to the idea of you know, becoming an art therapist, using art to somehow provide healing for people that were hurting. Part of that, just being honest with you, similarly to my music, was because I was in so much pain. I felt compelled to sort of figure out my own stuff, but also to use 
you know, what I was going through thinking, well, gosh, there's got to be a reason for this. Maybe I could help some others. But I was really broken at that time. Then you're on the path of helping people because I know in your bio, after you graduated high school, you found yourself pursuing a missions opportunity to third world countries to serve the poor and needy. And this decision informed you of your desire to serve the broken. And it completely changed your trajectory as a young man. And you found yourself looking on how to serve others. Yeah, you know, I think um, I I wish it were mandatory in our country for high school graduates to serve overseas just for a season. I I think it would be a a, a great compulsory uh, requirement before entering college. It, it, It really does just change your worldview and open your mind to how blessed we are as a country and, and people that live here in America. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really a humbling experience. Most people go there thinking they're going to do all of this good and do all of these grandiose things for these people. And, and the truth of the matter is, is most people that go on short-term trips come back more changed than probably the change they actually were able to, you know, to accomplish for others there. And that was the case with me. I've, I've been overseas numerous times since then. It's a huge part of my heart and journey and, and my family as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I When I was 30, I decided I wanted to travel. I hadn't had a chance to travel. And after trying to get friends to go with me, nobody could. I ended up just said, you know what, I'm going to do it myself. I backpack- ended up backpacking around the world by myself for about a year. Wow. And like you said, the countries that were third world countries were the ones that touched me and that changed me more than France or Italy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, my wife and I, when we first got married, we've actually had two attempts to move to Africa since we've been married now. Um, one in our first year of marriage, we wanted to move to South Africa. The people there were so warm and welcoming and there was so much need. And it was an easy entry point in comparison to America. And there was big cities and things as well. We loved that country. And, and then I spent a couple of years traveling back and forth to West Africa and doing work in Ghana. And we actually just fell in love with the people there. Um, you know, their national motto in, in Ghana is a word, it's, it's in their language, but it's Akwaba. And Akwaba means you are welcome. And that was like, wow. that's the way they greeted you when you arrived. You know, it's, it's written on the airport walls as you're coming off the planes. And it was just such a warm place. Um, yeah, we've my wife and I, we love all the things about Africa that most people hate. We love the smells. We love the, you know, the dirty. We love the the rugged, all of those things. Most people run, run from that stuff, but we, we absolutely loved it. Yeah, I found that the poorer the country, the more welcoming it seemed that they were. And they were all so happy just to be alive, it seemed like. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, people are very genuine. Um, and, and that's, I, I've spent a lot of time in Central America, a lot of time in, in West and South Africa, primarily, were the places where we've done work. And they're just not in a hurry. <laughs> and that's, that's no. one, of, one of the things that's just so beautiful. I mean, we, I remember the first trip I took to Central America, I was walking the streets with some friends, and I didn't know a lick of Spanish. I was the worst person to be serving in, in Central America because I, I just I, I knew how to ask for where the bathroom was. I was literally that American, and <laughs> I, you know, like the the, 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 stere- the stereotypical American. And um, and we, we were walking down the streets, and I remember one of my friends. These two guys were approaching us as as me and two of my friends were walking. And as we were walking by them, my friend greeted them and said, you know, something to equivalent to like, "Hey, how are you doing?" 
and they stopped walking and they said, would you like to get a coffee? And that was their response. And my, we all kind of looked at each other like, well, how are you doing? And he said, well, why don't we go have a coffee? And they were basically, they're on their way somewhere else when we asked them that. But it led us to a coffee date with these two strangers. And we sat for hours and just talked. And I thought, these guys were on their way somewhere else. And they made time just to, to answer the question in a more formal way. Like rather than we're doing fine and keep walking, they wanted to stop and have a conversation. And you know, I was 18 years old experiencing that and thinking this would never happen in America. No. You know? <laughs> well, people actually would look at you funny if you said, how are you doing? And you didn't know them. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all of those experiences have informed you know, really just the way that I am with people and just intentionality, you know, in, in relationships. Yeah. And I agree with you about, they call it the gap year now, yeah. uh, the year after high school and college. And I think every student, instead of going straight to college, should take a gap year and and serve other countries and see what life is like, because it does, it changed my trajectory. Yeah, it really does. And even if you go into the, the fields you think you're going to in high school, I, I think it's just a way to be more grounded in that pursuit and why you're pursuing the things you're pursuing. I mean, even as a even as an entrepreneur over all of these years, I've always been involved with businesses that were serving people. And that was yeah. that was always my goal. I was always doing something that was helping someone. And and I didn't realize really that that started in my high school years and then after that and going everybody that knows me would say, oh, gosh, all of the businesses you've ever either created or worked for were serving people. It wasn't just creating a product or or something of that sort. You were actually directly involved in trying to better someone's life. And I didn't realize that that really was a threat to me. I'm 39 years old now, and I've never been a part of a business that wasn't always about serving people. It started when I was 18. At 39, you're serving five girls, actually six, right? <laughs> yeah, in your family. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you're, you're overtaken by estrogen. So how how is that like? <laughs> you know, it's it's absolutely everything that you would think. I would love to, to have a really wonderful, profound response. I, I would say this, it's, it's an interesting thing. My wife said to me one day, it, it was a really sweet compliment. I'm admittedly a fairly tender guy. I'm an artist. I'm, I'm, I've always been artsy. And so there's, I'm connected to my emotions and and don't really have a problem having feelings. And, and I'm, so I'm not, I'm not the typical guy in that sense. The thing is, though, I still was very much man and very much boy when I first got married. When I started having daughters, with my first daughter, Sterling, our oldest, uh, you know, it began to, to soften me up. And, and three children in, when we had our, our third, Sophie, my wife said to me a comment at one point. She goes, you know, man, God must have really just really made you like perfect to be like a parent or you know, father for daughters. And you're just, you're so gentle and you're so sweet and you're so patient with them. And, you know, you let them you know, put tutus on you and do the whole, like, well, all the stuff, you know, that you just would never imagine doing as a man and watching princess diaries 14 times and all those kinds. And, <laughs> but I looked at my wife, I said, you know, I don't know if you remember, I wasn't always like this. My, my girls are changing me. That's actually, yeah. that's what's happening. And it, maybe there was some little small part of me that was ready for it. But really what's happened is over the years, I've become more gentle. I've become more tender. I've become more patient because of them. And now as recently having our fifth this past November, 
I imagine I'm in for more change. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it's it's amazing. My my daughters are fun, are phenomenal. My wife is an amazing mother. She, you know, it. I sort of feel like my job is just to come in and and reinforce what she's doing so well all the time. She she truly is is a gift to them. We both take all of the good from our own experiences as children and implement those things and all the things that we were lacking or missed, we try to do those things as well. I think our children are the better for it. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier about being broken. I want to touch on that. Yeah. Tell us what happened and how it led to you writing this book. Yeah, there's not a short answer, but to, for brevity's sake, from the age six to nine years old, I was sexually abused. No one, you know, my family didn't know of it. I was the typical story in the sense to where the kid that kept quiet and hid all of that uh, pain and all of the feelings that came from it, all the shame and worthlessness and lack of self-confidence and, and fear and worry and doubt, all those things that sort of became prevalent in my mind and my thinking all began in that season. And it's, it's strange to juxtapose that against the way that I was raised and what I believed right prior to that happening, Jacqueline. And at six years old, five years old, I was that bright-eyed kid that really believed that I was so special. I was going to change the world. I was going to do some amazing things. Um, and really, I mean, for for lack of a better term at five or six, I thought I was going to be famous because of the great things I was going to do. I still believed that during and throughout the sexual abuse, but I believed it slightly less. And then by the time I was 10 to 12, I believed it even less still. And by the time I was 15, 16, 18, I was having an even harder time holding on to those kinds of dreams or thoughts of, of grandeur or any kind of dreamlike state that you want kids to stay in. And I, I would tell the story that when I was 25 and got married to my wife, who was my best friend, you know, we've, we've known each other since grade school. You know, I didn't tell her. I didn't, I'd, I'd still at 25 had not told a soul what had happened to me. And, and at that point, it was so deeply entrenched in me that even though I was happy to be married and then happy to start a family, I was well committed and convinced by my early 30s that I was not really going to ever do anything great. I was just going to be a guy who was going to be married and work at a job and have kids. And I was pretty much focused on just trying to maintain that sense of stability. But I was reeling in pain and I was self-sabotaging decisions and business deals and things. And I had no explanation for it. And luckily, you know, one of the companies I was working with at the time, and I was about 34 years old, they hired an executive life coach to meet with all the top level people. And I was the vice president of sales at this company at the time. And that gentleman really in two conversations changed my world. Uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful for the time that I had with him. You know, we met every Thursday uh, for several months while I was employed with his company. And the, the first meeting we had, um, he kind of read my mail, if I could say that. <laughs> um, I, you know, we had a simple conversation. I told him a little bit about my story. Didn't tell him much about exactly what had happened to me at that time because I was, I hadn't, I'd never said it to anyone and I didn't trust him. But I just sort of talked to him a little bit about my upbringing. And at the end of our conversation, he said, Brandon, I, I know exactly who you are. And I thought, what an audacious thing to say. You, you've only heard me talk for 15 minutes. You don't know anything about me. 
And he pushed back and he said, no, I know exactly who you are. And I said, man, I don't know who you think you are, but that is the most, that's the most obnoxious thing you could ever say to someone after 15 minutes. Like how I felt violated in a sense. I was like, how dare you say that? And he looked at me, he said, I'll prove that I know you by one question. And this, this question, I mean, Jacqueline, it still rings so deep in my core um, because it's one thing that I try to instill with my children. But he looked at me, he said, Brandon, when are you ever going to be good enough? And when he said that, I don't know what, I, I can't truly d- demonstrate what happened other than to say that I just immediately broke. I just started weeping at this table in this conference room with this stranger. And I thought, why did that question bring me to tears instantly? But there was this thread in my heart and in my mind um, from these seeds that were sown early in my life of not being good enough and not, you know, something was wrong with me and whether I was dirty or shameful or whatever it was, I was well convinced by the time I sat with him that I was never going to be good enough. And that question just pierced me. And it, it was the beginning of this process of healing that I then went on for, you know, really the past five or six years in the midst of that process without getting too long winded. I apologize. One of our daughters who we now have five, um, came to my wife and I with an accusation of sexual abuse against someone that we knew. You know, we are the American family and the statistic of, you know, one in five children or one in five girls by the age of 13 experiences sexual abuse. And here we are in our household with every guard up, every, I mean, thinking we've done everything to protect our children and to provide a safe place. And yet this still happened. And it was at that point in the process of my healing and, and I was, I was consuming every bit of content I could to find healing in my heart. I was going to every conference I could, I mean, doing everything I could on my own and through therapy and meeting with this guy to get healing. But when my daughter came to me, the strangest thing happened. My wife and I were sitting one night and I looked at my wife, Stephanie, and said, you know, I'm so grateful that I went through what I went through. And, and it was kind of, you know, sort of strange for me to say, she, she said, what do you, what do you mean? How can, how can you say that? And I said, sweetie, I can actually empathize with my daughter. Absolutely. I can look yeah. at my, my girl eye to eye and say, I know what you're feeling. It's not your fault. You know, you're okay. And, and I love you and I'm for you and we're going to champion you and we're going to defend you. I mean, all of those things that I didn't, I never experienced. Um, through my own quietness about the pain I was going through, it it really solidified this thing in me that said, "Gosh, I've I've got to use, I've got to find some way to use all this pain for a purpose," you know. And um, and that really was the impetus and really the starting point of writing seeds and trees. So tell us about seeds and trees. Yeah, seeds and trees in in simple form is a book about the power of words. Even though my story deals a lot with sexual abuse personally and in our family and with my daughter, uh, the book is not about sexual abuse. It's really about the words that are sown in our mind, either through direct words and conversations or through actions of others. And so, you know, if you could follow theoretically, the story idea is that this prince who is me <laughs> in the story, you know, it's, it's essentially, as, as you said, it's my, li- it's my life story kind of cleverly disguised in a children's book. But um, the prince, the story follows him from a young age until his mid-30s. And um, 
And as a young boy, every conversation he has, the conversation you and I are having right now, we're exchanging seeds, good seeds or bad seeds. And as a young kid, I wasn't really taught what to do with the bad seeds. Uh, it wasn't that my parents failed and were bad parents. They had no idea some of the bad seeds that I'd received. I think had they known, they would have probably instructed me differently. But I tucked those seeds and planted them right beside the good ones. And every day through different circumstances or my own thoughts or other interactions, those seeds were being watered right beside the good ones. And unfortunately, those good and bad trees don't live real well together. They, the bad trees suck the life out of the root system of the good ones. And so, you know, the story essentially follows the boy through his life until one of his friends comes along to play with him. And he's a grown man at this time, which is kind of ironic in a sense, but he invites this friend to come play and the friend comes and brings an ax and a saw and a shovel and begins to point to trees and say, hey, which of these trees would you like me to cut down for you? That was really the beginning process to where I received a lot of help from friends, a lot of help from counselors, a lot of help from that life coach, from content I was reading, from God himself, I believe in some ways, to just say, how do I get to the root of these lies that I've been believing about myself? And so the story you know, culminates with the boy essentially eradicating his garden with all these bad trees. And then the friend kind of sends him on a mission, which is where I'm at right now, and says, okay, well, here's, here's your tools now. You know, here's a new saw and a new axe and a new shovel for you. Why don't you go find some other friend who has some trees that need to be cut down and go help them with it? And that's, that's really my, my life right now is to go and find others who are hurting, that are broken, um, and try to help them dig out the bad trees. And if that's you know, through a simple talk like this with parents and trying to encourage parents to be open and safe with their own children and, and to to have these conversations that we don't want to have that are uncomfortable, sexual abuse and things of that sort are not fun topics, but it's so prevalent in our culture right now. Um, and it's happening so much more than any of us would ever like to imagine or believe. Um, if you knew how we had raised our daughters and how safe a place we had created and yet still, and it's shocking to me. It's still shocking to me. I don't say this as a negative thing. I don't, I don't want to, you know, propagate this this fear mentality, but but it is it's so prevalent. It's it's happening online. It's happening through social media. It's happening through all kinds of things. Or these 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 seeds are being sown um, through all kinds of ways. You know, we we have a pretty clean lifestyle in what we watch in our home, what we allow on our TVs, and sometimes we're watching what is the most innocent you know show for our family. And a commercial will come on and we're immediately racing for the remote because of, you know, some that were like, gosh, I, I don't want my kids to see that. I don't want them to experience that. Not that we can live completely sheltered of the world, but, um, you know, we just, we want to, we want our kids to have good seeds sown in their hearts. And I love that you shared this because so many times we've been told that, oh, well, that happened to you as a child, get over it, or don't carry it with you as an adult. But we're finding out now that it does. I don't know if you heard of the ACE studies. It's called the Adverse Childhood yeah. 
Uh, right, and uh, it's done by Kaiser 20 years ago. It's profound. Over 18,000 people in the initial study 20 years ago. And if uh, listeners, if you don't know, we actually had a show about it. You can just uh, search the A study even online. And it's just 10 simplest questions. And it's profound how it affects how your adult life with what happened to you in your childhood. I, I recently heard a TED talk, and I, I forget to, I'll have to find the reference to the lady, but she's actually a physician and she did a talk on, on trauma. I don't know if you've heard that. And it's, it's, I have heard that. It's very powerful. I will put that in the show link. You should. It's, it's, it really is, it is it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. Yeah. You know, the gentleman that I talked to, um, Jeff, when I first told him my story, you know, just to be really real. when I, when I first opened up and told him that I was sexually abused, when those words left my tongue, I immediately went into physical convulsions. My body actually started shaking uncontrollably. It was, uh, I didn't even know what was going on at the moment. And, and Jeff very calmly got up and walked around the table and sat in the same seat that I was sitting. And he literally scooched in right beside me, wrapped his arms around me and held me while I shook and, and, and wept and sobbed. And when I finally got my composure, 15, 20 minutes later, I mean, really the, the ugliest cry I've ever had. Jeff looked at me and he said, you just added 15 to 20 years to your lifespan. I didn't realize what he meant until over the years of really uprooting the lies. I thought, man, I, I don't think I would have made it, Jacqueline, if I had continued to believe these things. I don't know how long I would have lived. And, and it's amazing how much, you know, just a simple word. And we just did a video that we released called Words Take Root. And we just follow the you know the life of a child through a, a phrase like what's wrong with you are you stupid yeah. you know and i mean just it's crazy to say that but those types of phrases that are so flippantly thrown around to kids that are literally are seeds in their heart i'm pretty passionate about it as you can imagine because of what i went through and what i've written but i, I yeah i think it's a i think it's a huge thing yeah, I think more people need to, and it's not just sexual abuse, like you said, it's words. So those are verbal abuse that transform into emotional, mental, and then it goes into our muscle. And that's why you were convulsing like that, because your muscle remembered the emotion and you were releasing it. Those are years, what, you were 35 or yeah, 30? I was 34. So yeah. you, 34. So you held that, those in for over 25 years in your body and congratulations i'm so glad you were able to to do that and a lot of people don't realize because i think what happens is it's so normal right to carry all of this inside of you that you think this is normal yeah and you don't realize what healthy is and i'm sure now that you've released it you can tell the difference oh yeah i mean it, it's you know, there, there's so many cliche types of statements, you know, the weight of a thousand pounds off your chest, but truly it, it is that it's just, it's, it's as simple and profound as literally feeling like you can breathe again. And, and I, I went through so much of my life, not experiencing that, that I, like you said, I absolutely thought that what I was living and what I was doing and what I was feeling was normal in a sense that, well, everybody's probably feels this way to some degree but the truth be told it was affecting all the relationships around me and even as a parent I was realizing you know as, as sweet and gentle as I might want to perceive myself or my wife might say I was I had a crazy short temper that was just it was not in my DNA you know to be that way I, it wasn't how I was raised but the slightest things would 
agitate me or annoy me or get to me. I remember just, just to tell you this crazy story with, I, I had gone off to a conference. Uh, it was a men's conference, a retreat that was really about inner healing. It was a, it was a pretty emotional experience with about 75 men. I'd never been a part of something like this before where men were really getting in touch with their emotions and dealing with their brokenness. And um, it, it was a profound experience for me. Um, it was one of the probably key moments in my life that made me the man I am now. And when I went away, I had kind of a list of things I was aware of that I wanted to work on, but nowhere on that list was my anger problem. I didn't think I had an anger problem. I was not aware that what I was dealing with was anger. And, you know, there's masks of different, of different feelings, as you know, but you know, the anger was, was really essentially protecting me from my pain yep. and my sadness. And, but, but I still was lashing out. And, and in the midst of this journey over this three days of this weekend, I, I started identifying, wow, I, I really lash out at my wife a lot. I, I'm really, I'm really short tempered with my, with my children. And, and I didn't realize it. So I came home and I didn't tell my wife about this experience, this part of it. I just came home with the intent to change. And Jacqueline, I literally, I was going to force myself to not raise my voice, which you would think shouldn't be such a feat. But for me, I started identifying how often I would raise my voice at my wife or my, my kids and, and just yell and for whatever reason. You know, I was agitated about something and yell their name or yell at them for what they're doing or yell at my wife in an argument. So I came home super intent. I got home from this conference at like midnight the night, you know, late at night on a Sunday night. And it was during the summer. And so the kids were out of school. I went downstairs the next morning before anybody woke up. And I was just, I was intent on serving my wife and kids. I was going to make them the best breakfast I could muster. And so I'm downstairs at seven o'clock, you know, just slaving over pancakes and bacon and eggs and cutting up fruit for salad and all these things. And in the process of doing that, I hear a couple of my daughters wake up upstairs and I heard them. They knew that I was home and they ran into the other room where our bedroom was. And I heard my wife kind of mumble because she was still waking up saying, I, I think daddy's downstairs. And Jacqueline, as they were running down the stairs, screaming, daddy, 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 daddy's home. They were so excited. And I literally clenched my fist. The sound of their voices was actually like a shriel to me. And I thought, oh, God, help me. I, I, it's like instantly I thought I wanted to yell and say, stop, stop yelling. But they were yelling in excitement and it was triggering me. And so at that moment, I just I remember I just took a breath and I was like, you know, please, like, please help me. I'm literally just praying. God, help me. Don't let me don't let me scream at them for being so sweet. And so I turned off the, the burners and I got on my knees and I hugged all of them as they came through. And I said, hey, guys, I love you so much. And and just and that was count one. And this is crazy. That day I counted 17 times in that one day where I would have otherwise raised my voice that I bit my tongue. I held it. I paused. I prayed. I breathed. And I went 11 days. It sounds crazy. 11 whole days without raising my voice, which was, again, some people are probably laughing, listening to this, thinking like I never raised my voice. I don't know how true that might be, but I know for me, it was a massive problem. And on the 11th day, I was sitting at the dining room table with my wife after dinner. Our kids were playing behind us in the living room. And I was trying to tell Stephanie something really important. And the girls kept laughing and playing and laughing and playing. And I was trying to talk to Stephanie. And finally, at one point, I was telling her how I had gone 11 days 
because she had it sounds terrible she hadn't noticed that I wasn't yelling and she, nobody knew this was a problem like I did and so I was trying to be seen and they validated like don't you see this amazing thing I've been doing for the past 11 days in the midst of her telling of me telling her and the girls yelling in the background I finally said girls be quiet I'm trying to talk to me <laughs> and when I yelled out and lashed out my wife looked at me and she said so you know, how, how long did you go again? <laughs> and I said, 11 days. And she said, do you want to start over? And I was like, yeah, I'll start over right now. Yeah. And I got up and I walked over and I knelt down in front of my girls. And I said, I'm so sorry, daddy yelled at you. That it's, it's not you. Daddy's, daddy's working through some things and I'm, you didn't deserve that. You know? Well, what we know is anger is not really an emotion. It's a reaction. The emotion that's underneath anger is sadness, fear, hurt, shame, yeah. right? Doubt, uh, guilt. When someone feels angry, the first thing that they really should be looking at is, what am I sad about? What am I hurt about? What am I shamed about? And it's not about anger. So I'm so glad that you were able to figure that out and release that because anger doesn't serve anybody, especially ourselves. Yeah, exactly. We have a couple of minutes left. This book, Seeds and Trees, is not only a gift to the world, but I feel like it's a release of something inside of you so that you could heal. Yeah, absolutely. That's just so powerful. Uh, thank you. And you're right. You went from hurt, you healed yourself, and you found your purpose through all that yeah. pain. And, and even though you were molested, you were, got a chance to be able to connect with your daughter. And nobody wants any child be molested, but it was good that you were able to connect with her in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm truly grateful that I did go through what I did. And I can say that now on the other side of it, yeah. anytime prior to healing, I would have never been thankful for it, but surely at, at this point, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's how we change our past because we can't change our past. We can only look at it differently, see what purpose it served and what lessons we can learn from it and take that emotion out. And when we can take that emotion out and just look at it for what it is, we'll find how it could really be more purposeful into our life. Yeah, absolutely. Even something as, as awful as what you and your daughter has gone through. And I'm glad that you're there to help guide her. Mm, thank you. Yeah. And that she'll never, ever have to feel that I'm not good enough. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a big deal. <laughs> so that's so important. Yeah, that people walk around all the time. I, I do it in my coaching. That's the one statement that is the big trigger, that they're not good enough. Yeah, so thank you so much. And listeners, the link to the book is in the show notes. So go out and get it for your children. It's wonderful. And Brandon, gosh, I really appreciate you sharing what you went through, your heart, your soul, <laughs> and this book. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an honor to share it. And um, thank you for for the opportunity, you know, I tell people the the one takeaway from the book, it's ironic, it's not even in the book, but one phrase I often use is to be careful what you water because it will surely grow. And it's it's really the the essence of the book, our thoughts and what we what we think on the seeds we sow in our children's lives. It's it's really important to uh, to consider what we're sowing and what we're watering yeah. for. Especially as parents, what we say and do in front of our kids. Absolutely. So listeners, thank you for tuning in. And as always, keep on learning and keep on growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. 
To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week. Music